Now entering Nerdist.com. We're gonna make it. If we try, we're gonna make it. Touch the sky, we're gonna make it. Watch us fly, we're gonna make it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making It with Ricky Lindholm. My guest today is comedy writer Ron Weiner. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming over. You were supposed to do it a long time ago, and then I stopped doing the podcast for a while, but now I've started again. I'm very happy about it. So am I. It's a pleasure to be here. Yay. Oh, you're the first person who's podcasted in my new apartment. So Okay. It's not quite furnished yet, but it's getting it's getting there. It has a lot of promise and what I see so far, I love. Thank you. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it S- slowly, you know. Um so where are you from? I'm from Brookline, Massachusetts originally, which is a suburb of Boston. Am I crazy or a lot of comedy writers from Massachusetts. <laughs> I feel like a lot of comedy people I know are from there. I think that could be true. Yeah. I'm not sure why. I feel like there are a lot of funny people from Boston in general. I think there was a big stand up scene in Boston, which brought out comedy writers. There's a lot of uh, people who went to Harvard who went into that and also who were on the Lampoon, which I was on. And there's a lot of people from Massachusetts who get into Harvard because I actually learned unless I'm just saying something that's completely wrong, but someone told me something, which is that a co- maybe all colleges do this, but they let in a lot of people from like the state they're in to like oh. foster a good relationship with that uh, state. Oh, that seems good. So that was a very long way of saying, maybe there are a lot of people from Boston. I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> that's, I kind of want to talk to you about the, um, I'm so curious. I feel like so many comedy writers, the path is they go to Harvard, they're on the lampoon and then they become com- comedy writers. I feel like a lot of people I know have that path. Yeah. It's a, it's a really surprising, uh, like feeder. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and did you know that when you started at the lampoon, did you go, or did you go to Harvard with the idea that you were going to be a comedy writer? Or? It's an, uh, I, th- I think there are some people who like, who have a little more pre-awareness of it. They're like, I think I really want to go into this field. I know Harvard has the lampoon. I'm, and that's kind of, I'm going to try to go through that. I, I wasn't quite, I didn't have that much pre-awareness, but I did like, uh, in high school I liked writing and comedy and that kind of stuff. Um, and when I was at Harvard, I actually, I kind of knew about the Lampoon. I knew what it was, but I wasn't, uh, it wasn't like I was like, I got to get on there. Um, and actually, I would give kudos to my brother who, uh, after my freshman year, he graduated because he had been a senior there. And he said, he kind of advised me. He was like, you know, I might have, if I could do it again, I might have like gotten uh involved and more um i feel like i keep going on like gigantic tangents what do you mean no well anyway this is what it's about okay well he basically said you know uh my brother said that he might have gotten involved in more things at college and so he was like maybe you should try for the lampoon you know you like to write things you like to write funny silly things you know and you made little comedy videos when you're in high school um, and so I, I started attempting to get it on uh, in my sophomore year, and then at the end of sophomore year, got on. And I do. Sp- How do you get on? Um, it's basically like you uh, for writing. There's basically you just like write comedy pieces, um, and you like they have kind of these like office hour things where uh, you show up to the first 
thing, they kind of say, okay, you know, this is like the, it's almost like a rush, basically. Mm -hmm. It's like there's one per semester. And it's like at the beginning of the semester, anyone who's interested shows up and they're like, okay, all you people are called compers, which I think comes from competition. I don't know if that word comes from something else. Oh, funny, compers. That feels very Harvard. Yeah. (laughs) Like, compers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like exactly. like winky face, fierce competition, wink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's just writing these uh, comedy pieces, and then you, you'll go back, and the people who are running it will talk to you about them. Often, they're like really obnoxious. Other members of the writing staff who are already on there who think they're can I swear on this? Yeah. Who think they're the shit? <laughs> but like write obnoxious comments on the back, like this isn't funny at all. You know, like I, yeah. Uh, and or but they'll always be like people who are helpful also but it's actually interesting it's a pretty good first experience at least for me it was a very early first experience of like the cruelty of when you're like writing comedy and trying to put it out into the world wherever it is to friends who are funny or in a comedy writer's room or performing or whatever it is it's like there's often that mix of some people will give you some actually helpful advice. Some people will just say something that makes you want to, you know, kill yourself right. and everything in between. I can't even imagine being in a comedy writer's room. That that feels very stressful. I feel it, like I would it would take me a long time to speak up and say stuff. I don't know. Um, possibly. It's a pretty weird... Uh, it's like a weird mixture between writing and, like, improv, I think. Like... Because it's very performative because it's like, I don't know, before I was ever in a writer's room, my idea of a writer and my experience of writing was like sitting at a desk and writing. It wasn't sitting around a table with a bunch of other people and, you know, the way that it works is then you'll have a specific, if you're actually writing the script, if you're at that point, it'll be like, okay, we need a funnier reason that this person is late to the party for example you know yeah. like the script will say like sorry i'm late i got in a car accident and it's like let's <laughs> like, beat we can that. beat that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i mean obviously you know that sorry, i was late my mom died Ooh, that's not very funny <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> can we beat that yes yes we can beat that yeah. but it feels like your brain i would actually it'd be interesting to see like a study or something but like it must be different parts of your brain that are being like if you're thinking okay what's funnier than that and you're sitting alone in your house as opposed to I'm sitting here and I know there's seven other people here. It's just such a different thing. And like, you're like halfway thinking of something then someone else thinks something. I mean, I'm sorry, someone else said something out loud and you like hear it. And part of you is like, Oh, that's funny. I hate them. But part of of you is like, Oh, that's funny. That's great. Maybe we can just move forward and I can get home earlier. (laughs) Or it's like, Oh, that's half funny. And then you just blurt something out and then it's, it comes funny out together right yeah and then that might be th- the most fun feeling you could have even funner than being alone at your desk so right. that's sort of like the best version of it you that know? does sound better than being alone at my- so um so how what happened after you got on the lampoon uh well to get back to your kind of earlier question um i do remember a specific moment where um i asked someone who was an older person who was on the Lampoon, I basically was like, is it true? Do a lot of people who were on the Harvard Lampoon go into comedy writing? Because it was something that I started hearing. And, and I, I, I really can't remember when I started being aware of it, you know. But 
once I was on there, then I started becoming more aware of it. And uh, obviously, well, I was in the middle of college, so I was kind of far away from thinking, well, what exactly is it that you're interested in doing? I was thinking maybe I'll go to medical school. Really? Yeah. Wow. What a different path that would have been. It would have been a different path, yeah. Um, my father is a physician, um, so I, it was something that I was always around. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then once I was on there, you know, it, it functions a couple different ways. It is definitely like a literary comedy magazine where they're creating a magazine, but, but a lot of it is just kind of like a social club like any in college where it's like there's men and women and they have parties and drink and they think they're awesome because they're in the club and they act cool. Or, and and then all. it never changes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but I do have to say that like I definitely met a lot of people who I thought were really funny really interesting people that uh, I felt were very similar to me, uh, which I think a lot of people experience at different moments in their life. Maybe it's like the first time you, it's just the first time that, not that I hadn't been with other people like that, but it's just a time where you feel like, boy, these people are really like me. You know, they're very like-minded um, and it's and it's exciting, you know? Yeah. Um, and I also did feel that there was such a culture of the like comedy competitiveness of like riffing um, which I think a lot of people who like to joke are just naturally that way, whether or not they could be, whether or not they're in the business or not, you yeah. know? Um, but I definitely felt that feeling of almost like macho joking, mm-hmm. um, in, in good and bad ways, you know? Um, did you, did you think it was really competitive or, uh, or just more fun competitive? There was definitely competitiveness for sure, but but also a whole lot of fun, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so yeah, I guess kind of both. Yeah. So did you? Were there a lot of people on the lampoon with you who became comedy writers? Like, did you see? Have you seen them in writers' rooms and things? Um, yes. Yeah, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, people who were older than me, uh, who like were who then graduated and went into comedy. Um, people who were younger than me who graduated and went into mm-hmm. comedy. Um, my first, uh, and the other thing that's, that's interesting about it that makes it such an advantage when you're trying to get in and I, and I am completely aware and thankful for like the just lucky privilege of having to, of of having that kind of in, Mm -hmm. um, is that you also are connected to people who were on the lampoon that you never met who are like seven years older, right? you know, and like now they're a little bit more established and you have a connection to them, you know? So it's a little bit easier for them to hear, oh, there's this young person who's just graduating who's on the lampoon, you know, named Ricky. Her thing is funny. Would you look at it, you know? Um, so my first, I think my first three jobs, people from the lampoon hired me. That's cool. Yeah. What was your first job? Um, my first actual Writers Guild job was uh, there was a, a show called The Weird Al Yankovic Show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. It was, uh, it was a morning... I've, I've heard of him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he's a very talented and lovely and inspirational uh, musical comedian. Um, 
Eat It is my favorite of his, but he has so many good ones. I also like I Lost on Jeopardy. Yes. Um, <laughs> I know. There's so many good ones. My favorite one when I was growing up was One More Minute. I just thought that one was hilarious. It, Do you remember One More Minute? It sounds familiar. Is it's, that- it's, a, it's, like a, it's not a parody, but it's a a list of all the things he'd rather do than spend one more minute with his girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> and I love it. I do remember that one. Yeah, I remember that his album was like a mixture of parodies, but then non-parody mm-hmm. comedy songs, which at, even at that time before I like wrote songs or thought about doing it, it was like, oh, that's kind of cool, mm-hmm. you know, which is obviously what you do now. Um, and like that song, Midnight Star, did you ever hear that song? No. It's like, oh, Midnight Star, you can read about it in the Midnight Star. No. Anyway, I'm, I'm singing it perfectly. <laughs> yes, so it's yes. weird that you yeah, didn't Yeah, I can't it. believe it. I can't crack that code. Um, <laughs> but he, I think that was an original song. Anyway, the Weird Al Yankovic show, which was on CBS, it was like a morning kids show. Um, and then the second one was News Radio, um, which was... I really was a fan of that show and felt very, very excited to get onto it. Um, I was hired by this uh, guy named Josh Lieb, um, who was a lampoon person that was a year above me. So I had known him at the Weird Al show. I was hired by a guy named Steve Luckner, who was a couple years above me. That's cool. Yeah, it's just it's so lucky. And um, News Radio was a very lampoon heavy show because it was created by um, Paul Sims, who's a really brilliant writer, and he had uh, written on the Larry Sanders show. And uh, he was on that show, and uh, um, Josh Lieb was also a Lampoon writer, uh, Lou Morton and Brian Kelly. Um, they were, uh, all, the, all the writers on that show were great, but I'm just mentioning the ones that are, you know, that were on the Lampoon that right. were relevant to yes. this. Uh, but, uh, and then worked on a show called Futurama after that, um, which I was also a fan of, and that was also a Lampoon guy, this guy named David Cohen. Wow. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I wasn't really thinking of this, but I was like, am I even good? Or right. is this <laughs> me? Hey, I mean, you have time to get good if you're not. Yeah. You have practice. No, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was a very fortunate thing. Um, and, but I, I was really excited to try to get in there, and had I not had that inside connection, I definitely would have been interested and was thinking about anyway trying to become a writer's assistant or get into a production office or be like a writer's PA or something like that because I had the good fortune that it happened reasonably quickly that I was able to start getting these jobs but it's not like it happened immediately so there was you know two or three years where I was kind of thinking, well, what other actions can I take to Mm -hmm. try to, like, get in there? Yeah, what did you do? Were you in New York or were you out here? Um, uh, The first year I went to New York, um, being from Boston, L.A., just seemed really, really far away and kind of scary. Um, And I had an older brother, the same one who was a senior when I was a freshman. He lived in New York, so that was also a draw. Um, So, yeah, I was there for a year and then um, came out to L.A., and what were you doing for that year in New York? Um, I was tr- I was trying to get on to some of the comedy shows that were in New York because um, I I knew there was an older Lampoon guy who was on Letterman, and so I was submitting things to that. I think I submitted to the Conan O'Brien show also. He was a Lampoon person, not that I had any interactions with him. Um, and uh, I knew some guys who were at Saturday Night Live, um, my material wasn't good enough. I didn't get into any of those jobs. Um, I was actually uh, 
paying my rent. I think my parents were helping me out a bit, but I was also um, paying my rent. Uh, there was a video game version of the television show, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Um, the, and so you basically wrote these clues that were kind of educational, cl- uh, geographical. Oh my gosh, clues. that was your jo- first job out of college? Was writing joke or uh, clues for Carmen Sandiego? I think so. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I used to look, I like that video game. Oh, Where did you play in it? In the world is Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> right? Wasn't that the, yeah, that was yeah. the theme song? Yeah, yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, it had the like acapella guys come out and sing that. Mm hmm. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then you went to LA. Then I went to L.A. Um, and what were you doing to try to get jobs? You were just writing more and more scripts or just new samples? Or? Yeah, I would just find out that um, it was basically finding out that a place was looking for, you know, writers and so come up with a sketch packet. And then once I was kind of thinking of starting to go out to L.A., I started writing um spec scripts. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I was writing, I think I over the summer after I graduated when I lived at home in Brookline, I was immediately starting to write spec scripts, which were awful. Um, and I, I think it was a news radio spec script that I was trying to write cause I knew some people there and I was a fan of it and I thought it was really funny. Um, but I really didn't know anything about story very much. And, uh, all my, not that I had any training really, but whatever amount of training I had from the lampoon and just from comedy or writing knowledge at that time was just more like sketches and silly ideas and things like that. But the idea of actually structuring a story and making it make sense and making it pay off, I really didn't know anything about that. Yeah. And, um, uh, I, my general sense is that many writers in the comedy area, like, are able to be funny sooner than they can come up with story architecture. It might be a harder skill, but I might be wrong. Maybe there's like equal numbers of people who also know story architecture, but oh god, it, I, you have to be right. You have to be right because because the story architecture is not innate. You know, knowing the you know A B story Act One Two Three like that's not. But yeah. comedy is like something you can have innately or you know yeah develop. But yeah, I think I think structures really weird i think structure is hard it's super hard yeah um robert mckee has definitely uh made a fortune yes. trying to help people do it yes i read that book oh was it helpful i never read it um well no i lied i bought the book and it was really long and so i listened to it on tape okay because i was like i'm not reading this whole book <laughs> um I, I like to listen to stuff on tape better and I, at least you can hear his voice because he does it so it's like being in a seminar mm-hmm. um yeah it was helpful it was it's it was more motivating i think than helpful okay it was more like yeah just do it just make it happen you know right so but i don't really remember the specifics of it right so <laughs> i feel like those things are always helpful to some degree you always like take something a- away from it yeah i got that book how to write a movie in 21 days did you ever get that book i've seen that on the shelf mm-hmm. yeah i'm sure that i'll get it at some point helped me with structure that helped me understand i think uh like a outlines and beat sheets and so I kind of I that helped me get that uh-huh. more because I used to just try to start writing a script and be like you know fade in <laughs> and I'm like, like and now I know it's just not that's ridiculous now I mean I'm sure some people can do it like that but I can't you know the other thing that's so interesting about story is that like 
you know when you're watching one that isn't working or one that's kind of bad, even though you might not be able to come up with one or, you know, and, uh, and I feel I'm, I'm still really impressed by other writers who like after a table read, there are certain people who are so good at, at, uh, diagnosing the story. I'm really impressed by that. You know, um, I feel like I can do that and I've gotten better at it, but, um, it's always impressive when someone like points something out and you're like, yeah, that's really true. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So what did you do after Futurama? Um, after Futurama, I think the next, uh, the next job was actually quite an interesting job, although it didn't end up succeeding as a show. Um, it was the, f- it was a show called father of the pride that was on NBC. Wait, and I feel it was, like I've heard that. What, who was in it? Well, it was a CGI show. Oh, and yes. And it was about um, Siegfried and Roy's lions and tigers in their secret garden. Um, and it was on NBC, and it was like a Jeff Zucker and um, De- uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg kind of thing. Um, and so it, that was very exciting. Got to like meet Jeffrey Katzenberg and interact with him, and he's very very brilliant and really like full of energy and it was just exciting to be around him um briefly got to breathe like the rarefied air um because he was very uh passionate about that project and i think he was friends with Siegfried and roy and that's how he got he got the idea for it so at one point we got to fly on his private jet to what yeah oh that's awesome to las vegas and catch the show and and we went to their um they actually were really, really friendly and nice, and they hosted us at their uh, mansion. That's I'm sure you can imagine is like a little bit of a bizarre place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was, um, but anyway. But one of the things that was very interesting about that show, I think it was the first CG. It was like an att- it was a big swing. Um, it was an attempt at a CGI comedy primetime show, mm-hmm. which I don't think there had been at that time. Yeah, I can't think of one. Um. And uh, just checking on the checking on the levels. It looks good. Looks pretty good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I just have to check it every once in a while. Sure. Um, and uh, I think it was around a time that like CGI movies were definitely very popular and had like uh, and had become a thing, but they weren't. It was er- it was in two thousand and four actually, so they were a little earlier on, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was at a time where there were like a million CGI like children's shows like there are now. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think technically it was challenging for them. They were always like on the phone with Korea, like trying to like figure out how they could like process it. Did it take forever to animate? It took a while to animate. There was a very interesting moment, which was because the thing that was it was there was something exciting about working at that job at the very beginning of it, because like any new job, it has a huge upside and a huge downside. It's like, well, not a huge downside, but like probably like any new venture and any new TV show, it's probably not going to succeed because most of them don't. Mm -hmm. But it's if it if you have the fortune to get onto something that did last for a while, then that's kind of really exciting because you can help build it and you can see it grow. And, uh, it also could potentially have some job stability, which is hard to have Mm -hmm. in comedy writing because most of the shows don't last very long. Um, 
but moms and dads, you still shouldn't discourage your kids because it still follow their dreams. Right. Laughter is the best medicine. Yep, yep, all that. <laughs> Better than if you'd been a doctor with real medicine. Just Go to law school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but it so it had those elements and it was also going to look totally different than anything had before. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of exciting. But as we were working on it, we didn't know what it was going to look like really. And, and we were writing for these, um, animal characters. Mostly it was like lions and tigers talking to each other. We had like the most talented, amazing cast. It was like John Goodman and Carl Reiner, wow. um, Cheryl Hines, uh, just like really funny people um and uh so that was all really great and um but i guess the the, this moment that i was trying to get to is there was like a visual test that came in at one point where it was like the animators have have something that's like nine seconds of the main character who was played by john goodman talking and and we went into the room and watched it and it's not like we had never seen CGI before because we'd seen those movies and Toy Story had already been big but it just looked so good and it looked so real the whiskers on his face looked so real that it was one of those things where like it was your eye was like felt like maybe it was tricked oh yeah and you were wondering it looked like a Muppet almost Mm -hmm. um and part of and I was kind of thinking like this could potentially be huge because it just looked so cool Mm -hmm. but um it ended up you know, like most shows, I think that the writers were very funny and there was a lot of funny stuff, but the show didn't quite take off. Mm -hmm. The other problem was, uh, that there was a tragic thing where, um, Roy, uh, was mauled by one of the tigers. Right. That happened while you were working on the show. Yeah. That happened during the show. Yikes. So that was a bit of bad PR. Oh no. And that was before the show aired. Um, it was during. I think it was during, but between the first and second season, perhaps. So there was two seasons. There were two seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was a tiger, I believe, named Montecor. Um, Ooh, that sounds awful. It's a bad name. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that was it. Was a very interesting experience, um, but a great experience, and like everyone I met on there was great. Um, that show was uh, run by um, uh, John Pollock, and um, I can't believe I'm... Anyway, another fantastic writer whose sure. name I'm blanking on. Yeah. Um, did you have any mentors during Jonathan time? Groff. I'm sorry. Yes. Jonathan Groff. There you go. Yeah. Love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard to, like, on a, yeah, on a moment's notice to recall every... Yeah. You've been doing pretty good with names, though, so far. Thanks. I... Uh, I'm getting worse as I get older. Me too. God, I know. Um, did you have any mentors at this time? Um, I don't know that I had like a specific mentor. I would say that uh, there were maybe, maybe there were always a few uh, writers who I, were people that I knew in college or people who were a little bit older, maybe some that I had worked with um, that, uh, would that I might go to it for advice. Uh, I would definitely say that I definitely had mentors the first couple years that I was coming out. That's when it was really, really strong. Um, like there was a, there's a guy named Dave Mandel, who's a great comedy writer who 
was a mentor to a lot of people and like really helped people out. And even though he was so busy working on these very successful shows, he would like, he would look at any like shitty sketch packet I sent him and give notes. And, um, even though he might be like a little grumpy or whatever, he would like always do it. And he was always like very, um, helpful and would give you good career advice, you know, like don't do this, do that. Um, and they were also, uh, do you remember anything he told you specifically? about when you were starting? Um, I remember more... Uh, what did he say? Well, you know what? Honestly, well, the thing I remember the most is just is just sending him things and being terrified. And like, you know, but then being grateful that there were like a couple things that he thought was okay. Right. There was one thing, there was one time that I was like trying to put together a packet for the Conan O'Brien show. And... Um, I was nervous about it and like the information had come in pretty recently that they needed it. So it's not like I had prepared a lot of stuff and I, and I, I was talking to him about some of my ideas and like, uh, the deadline was kind of like stressing me out. And at some point I said very wimpily and I'm embarrassed that I like ever said this, but I, I just, I was like, uh, I think something about the deadline and I was like but that's not really how I work Mm -hmm. and he was like well that's the nature of the work right you know you said you don't work on a deadline something like that I said it was was, like ha 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 I said it was I said (laughs) he's like good luck yeah Yeah. I I said something like I was just Mm -hmm. complaining that it was hard for me because I felt stressed by the fact that this deadline had come up kind of quickly and I, it's not like I had been preparing material for the Kona Ryan show and finding my best stuff you know and he was just like well that's the nature of the work you know and it's such a basic obvious idea and it's also one of those things that like when I said that I know that yeah like even back then <laughs> I knew it but you know sometimes when you're like well I'll just speak for myself sometimes if I'm tired or feeling stressed or in like a weak place i'll just say something lame that i i know is true oh me too. i mean i know it's lame yeah and i'll just say it and then someone's like did you really not know the answer to that question it's like uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's hard i think yeah. especially when you're starting i think it's hard to get used to the kind of schedule that writers have to have i, I, I don't know i have friends that are staff writers and it seems crazy the hours yeah the hours like what is the what do you think the hours are typically on a on a half hour show it seems like it varies it varies a lot but they can be pretty long i mean i guess if i had to just and it also varies during uh depending on what time of the year you're in Mm -hmm. um because the basic way that the year goes um for anyone who uh would be interested or isn't doesn't know is basically it would typically start in the uh, beginning of the summer and over the summer that's called pre-production because you're not filming anything but the writers are all getting together and uh, just discussing the season coming up with ideas and not really writing scripts yet but just trying to figure out all the stories um, and by the way please stop me if I'm going into like detail no this people. is interesting okay this is I don't I, I mean I didn't know this stuff so okay. I, I, I think it's interesting okay yeah so so that's like the first phase that's pre-production and generally not always but generally those hours are the easiest and that's in some ways the most fun part of the year I felt it's just brainstorming and, yeah, yeah it's brainstorming it's like fun with your friends you don't have to like you're not quite committing to anything, you know, it's not like, 
uh, it's all it, it's very kind of like speculative, you know. Mm. Um, not that you're not coming up with stuff that you ultimately have to figure out, but and uh, so so that's the initial part. And a lot of the long hours and the grind will come when the, and the deadlines to get back to uh, Dave Mandel's uh, sage uh, words. The deadlines come when it's like we're shooting this tomorrow morning, you know, right. or like, we're shooting this in next Monday and today's Wednesday and we have a table read tomorrow because we have to hear the whole script. So finish it. Yeah. yeah. So finish it tonight. It's Wednesday night. We have to finish it. All the actors are going to come in tomorrow, which is Thursday and we're going to read it. And if it's not good, then we're going to work late Thursday night and then Friday we're going to try to write it and hopefully we'll, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, that's when, that's when the hours get long when you're shooting stuff. Um, and generally in my experience, um, over the summer over pre-production, you're like generating a buffer of scripts so that you're not walking in there with zero scripts. Now, lots, all shows are different. Sometimes there's a lot, they have lots of scripts by that point. Sometimes they don't have any scripts or sometimes they only have one or two scripts. I have heard on one or more occasion, a writer who was writing on a show that was going into shooting and was like, we only have two scripts and they're nervous yeah because basically once you start filming those hopefully you have eight scripts and you're only filming number one so you have like a buffer and generally as the as the year goes on that buffer is getting smaller and smaller um until you do get to the point where you're like sort of eating hand to mouth it can happen um and then that can be kind of rough but there was uh i've heard like different showrunners you know at different times and there's actually, I, I like listening to podcasts and I, there's one on Grantland that I listen to a lot. I don't know if you ever listen to Grantland, but um, I mean, there's sports, but then there's also other pop culture and stuff like that. But someone was describing being a showrunner as, um, or maybe just the job of a writing staff is like, you're on a train and you're the engineer, but you're also like laying the track in front of the train as it's going. <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's like, that makes sense. Yeah. It was a good uh, visual. How did you end up on 30 rock? Um, 30 rock. Uh, well, I had worked at some, the, the simplest answer is that, um, the, uh, Tina Fey runs a show with a guy named Robert Carlock. Um, and he used to work, he's written at a lot of good shows. He wrote on Friends and Saturday Night Live for many years. He ran Weekend Up- Update for some of the time that she was there, and I think that's when they bonded. Uh, and he, run, he became the showrunner of 30 Rock, and he runs it with her. Um, and uh, I went to college with him. He is another Harvard Lampoon person. Nice. Um, and uh, so basically through him mm-hmm. um, was the, it was really kind of a mixture of at that point in my career, I had a certain number of credits that if they were looking for a writer and they were just looking for who's available out there, I might've been in their vein. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I had, I'd worked at Arrested Development at that point, which. Uh, oh, I want to hear about that too. I love that show. Um, which I felt super lucky to work mm-hmm. at. And that was, uh, that was a, a wonderful experience. Um, so I was probably in the ballpark, mm-hmm. but but I've found that as with many things, it's like a combination of sort of like, there's like the thing where it's like skill and luck kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. It was like, there was a mixture of like, okay, I had the credits, but also 
I, I was the guy who went to college with the, with the, the guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. How did you get the job on Arrested Development? Um, that one was also probably a mix of the two. Um, I, where, but one of the big things was um, was that there was a guy named Tom Saunders who's a really funny writer, who's a friend of mine, and I had worked with him on news radio, um, and he. Uh, was working on Arrested Development at that time, and he knew Mitch Hurwitz. And Did you start right at the beginning, or were you... Um, no, mm-hmm. and uh, I was actually, you know, the first run of it, now it has his awesome second life on Netflix. Um, uh, I was just there, there were two full seasons, and then there was a third season that was like a half season. Mm-hmm. I was just there for the half season, um, and uh, that was one where I really felt like the show had like accomplished so much before like any of us new people got in. Um, and so I was pretty intimidated, you know, I was also yeah. like earlier and uh, it was a little bit earlier in my career. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Did you felt intimidated in the room? Yeah. I mean, I always felt intimidated in rooms in general, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, but, um, how did you get past it? Uh, well, I guess I should I should say in, felt intimidated like earlier, maybe earlier on, you know, yeah. and like, and then once you are a little bit more have a little more experience, as with anything, you're like a little bit more relaxed. But hopefully, there's always people who are a little bit intimidating or a little bit like you know exciting that you know elevate your level. But um, I remember thinking that when I was like at the writers' room of that show, um, it almost felt like you had been playing like JV basketball and all of a sudden you were like on the varsity team. Right. It was, and, and it's, I don't mean to say that to disparage at all any of the other shows or writing staffs that I've been on. Cause those were all filled with super funny, super talented people, um, who I think are of, you know, equal merit, but, and not to assign merit to it, but it was almost more just the nature of the show mm-hmm. because that show is aspiring to this very very dense complex uh, finished product, right? That goes that arcs over a whole season. That yeah. every episode's intertwined. And, yes, yeah. and and yet and yet a lot of the individual episodes they almost end up like a Swiss clock, you know, and and they're so complicated and and they get compacted and compacted and compacted until the end you see what's cut down and it's like every single moment is like a joke or maybe more than one joke mm-hmm. and is driving the f- story forward. And then they're like all like influencing each other and coming together. Um, and so it was just kind of like the pace of it was faster. Um, and just, you know, talking about the story structure thing, I feel like one of the things that maybe prepared me for 30 rock a little bit was being at arrested development mm-hmm. because both of those shows, I think, aspire to like slightly more, at the very least, structurally complex mm-hmm. stories um, than some of the other shows that I'd worked on. Not that those didn't have good stories, and there's all different kinds of stories. There can be a story that's a little more simple, doesn't have to be structurally complex to be good, mm-hmm. and they're obviously, you know, uh, but um, anyhow, so... Mm-hmm. They were similar in that way. Mm-hmm. And so then that led you to 30 Rock. And did so you had to move to New York, I'm assuming. Yes, I moved to New York. Um, there were some other jobs uh, in there. Um, all of them were 
Uh, Where did you? What, what were your other jobs? Um, let's see. I don't want to leave any of them out. I've uh, feel luck, lucky to be on all of them. There was one um, that was called the O'Keefe's. That was uh, is that what it was called? Yeah, it was called the O'Keefe's, and it had Judge Reinhold in it. That was on a network that no longer exists. Uh, what was it? The WB, WB Network? WB, yeah. yeah. UPN or something. Yeah. What yeah. So that was a show that was fun. Um, and there was also a show that was uh, Ted Danson was the star of called Help Me Help You. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was uh, started by a couple friends of mine, Allie Rushfield and Jenny Connor. And Jenny now works on the show Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's in New York a lot of the time. And that was uh, it was fun to work with them and with Ted Danson. Um, th- that was another example of like, being excited to work on a show that was just starting mm-hmm. and kind of thinking, hey, this is Ted Danson. You know, what show is going to go he- forever? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even Becker, which I think was a lovely show, people would probably rate Cheers above Becker. Sure. But still, Becker ran for five years or something mm-hmm. and was funny and he was funny in it, you know. Um, so you thought job stability. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then after that, uh, then I went to 30 Rock after that. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you happy to move to New York or did you want to stay here? Um, I was, I was mostly, I I think I was mixed actually. Um, I put, I could have actually gone to 30 Rock the first year, but I didn't because I didn't want to relocate and the Ted Danson show started and it was being run by people I was really good friends with. Also, I was friends with Robert, but it was just like, do you want to move across the country or not? You're like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I actually lived very close to um, Paramount, which is where the Help Me Help You was. And it was like, I mean, it's uh, not that this is a factor. A good job is a good job. But it was like, it's such a close drive, too. Right. (laughs) I mean, in L.A., it's kind of of a big deal. It is. You can spend an hour and a half in the car or or five minutes. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Um, I was very excited to move to New York. Mm -hmm. Um, Being from Boston originally... uh, I um, I think I just feel a little bit more at home in an East Coast city. Uh, obvi- obviously, New York is in... I mean, some people don't like it, but I would, I'm in the camp that thinks it's an amazing, wonderful place. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty big camp. Um, and uh, my, I keep mentioning him, but he's, I love my brother. He lived, he lived there in Brooklyn at the time. What does he do? Uh, he's like... He went to business school, and he's in like the tech world. Um, uh, computers and like websites and that kind of stuff, um, but uh, and he was he like lives in Park Slope and and is married and has three kids and like I love his family and I was always like the uncle who lived all the way across the country mm-hmm. and would like come see the kids and uh, and then it was like I I couldn't believe how nice it was to live in the same place and to be able to like see them every weekend or see them every other weekend. That'd was, be very nice. Yeah. I have not had that yet with my family, but that'd be nice. Really? Yeah. Um, they live in Buffalo, so. Okay. It'd be hard. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to get. Is, mm-hmm. is there a, can you fly direct? No in? direct flight. There was like a three month window where Southwest had a direct and then, then it didn't happen anymore. Okay. So yeah, no direct. When you were flying on that direct were you thinking this isn't going to last or no you- i never flew on it i remember seeing it and being like yeah because i was walking through lax and i saw it and or no through burbank and i was like that says buffalo that is amazing <laughs> this christmas and then it, it went away but 
Yeah. Man, the layovers. Oh, I do anything to avoid layovers. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it like working with Tina Fey? Did she run the writer's room or was she mostly on set? Um, working with her was amazing. She's kind of everything that I might have imagined that she would be in terms of how smart she is, how funny she is. She's very down to earth, uh, fun to be around. She likes to goof around. Uh, it was so fun to be around her in a casual situation and hear her make like it, the kind of joke that she, it's hard for her to, you can't really make on camera, Yeah, you know, like, like she's super funny at those kind of jokes, you know, and it's just like a, so that was all kind of amazing. And I was very intimidated the first time I met her and like, really my intimidation never quite went away. Like, <laughs> uh, but, um, she did run the writer's room sometimes, but she was on the set a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so they were sort of a good team, like Robert and Tina. I think, you know, it's Tina's show; it's her vision. But uh, but they were also formed kind of like a a, a, a mind meld sometimes, and and uh, I think really liked to joke together and and, and uh, play off each other. Um, so the majority of the time, the room would be run by Robert, um, and uh, but sometimes Tina would come and run the room. And and once again in pre-production before there was filming, she would be in the room a lot more. And um, you know everything has to go through her. She has to approve everything. A lot of the funniest ideas and a lot of the ideas come from her originally. So it was very very valuable for us to get exposure to her. You know, as as in any company or organization, there's like the top person or some of the top people who the underlings are like. The more exposure they can get to them, the better. Or you can then, be in their voice and exactly, yeah, yeah, give them what they want. Yeah, and um, and it would just be better because, like, she'd just be sitting there, like, you know, if we we're like discussing an idea, it would just be like she would say something to be like, "That's awesome." <laughs> Let's <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Did, was Lauren around at all? Uh, Lauren was not really around. No. Um, we saw him now I also have to say that I started in the second season um and I think that a lot of the DNA of the show obviously of course is established in the first season so there's certain things that might have been different in the first season you know I I worked there the show ran for seven years and I worked there not I missed the first season and I missed the last season. So I was kind of like in the middle. But five years is a long time to work at a show. That's cool. Absolutely. No, it, it was a very long time. Um, but but it's possible that Lauren Michaels was more present in the first season. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I do think that she, I think that Tina um, was in contact with him a lot and got his advice. And, uh, and, um, we went over to Saturday Night Live a few times because there were uh, they got the idea to do a live show, mm-hmm. which was you know obviously a really neat synthesis of two of the things that Tina is famous for, um, and so that was its own amazing thing. But so we were in the SNL studios, and um, that was actually probably the only time that that I personally had any exposure to Lauren Michaels aside from, you know, seeing him sometimes here and there. Um, I play squash with him every Sunday. That goes without saying. Right. Of course. Yes. Yeah, everyone knows that. Yes. Um, 
It's often in the uh, Sunday styles. Yes, it's on his yacht, right? Uh, he squash on the yacht. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been hard since there's been some uh, wind windmills. Yeah, of wind course. Pumps, yeah. Of course. Anyway, see, that's some of the comedy that... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> comedy gold you bring. <laughs> drummed out. Get me drummed out of the business soon. Um, and Tina's book, she talks about how she had... Like a young child and she was starring in it and then she would write at night and how it, it seemed like it must have been a crazy schedule over there it could be a pretty crazy schedule yes i i think that the craziest of it yes it definitely could be a crazy schedule for sure and was the longest hours i think it was the longest hours that i had ever experienced um i think the hours were maybe the craziest the first season but they also were very crazy for a number of years um, her ability to do all those things was amazing um, and I, I think the show was still better for even though it was it was hard on her, on her um, it was it was better for her the fact that everything still went through her and she really wanted to like write everything and uh, or make sure that she'd done her pass and all that kind of stuff made it the great thing that it is um, but yeah, the hours, it, it really could be one of those jobs where it was like a little hard to have a life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but on the other hand, you were participating in something that, uh, is probably a once in a lifetime experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And you won the Emmy, didn't you? You won an Emmy. Um, I was on the show when it won an Emmy. Yeah. Did yeah. you guys go on stage? We went on stage. That's yeah. cool. Was that fun? It was wild. Yeah. yeah. It was absolutely, uh, it was just kind of like an out of body experience. Um, and uh, yeah, I just felt really, really lucky to be there. And uh, and um, it was. it's very strange. Uh, I actually remember the first time I was at the Emmys was a few years before when I was on Arrested Development. And, and after the show ended, the next season the next emmys you know happened in september or august or whatever and i got to go to it did you guys win that we didn't win no they had won like i think the couple years before and mitch had won something um mitch erwitz but uh i it was like being in a dream not like i'm dreaming i dream of like celebrities but like literally being in a dream in terms of how surreal it was in terms of just like it was almost like you had just watched a whole lot of television and then gone to sleep and all of those like images were in your mind and it was just like all these like actors just like famous walking people. by. Yeah. yeah, it was super weird and like even in the bathroom I was like washing my hands and then like I was like Lee Schreiber or someone just like turned around from the urinal and You're it's like, just like all right, yeah, hey, what's up? I yeah. can't get away from these dudes. <laughs> so were you, uh, so when did you guys win the Emmy? Was it the second season? Or? Um. I believe they won it. Well, the sh- the the show won the Emmy the first three years that it existed. Awesome, um, which was an incredible accomplishment. Um, I was there the uh, second and third year that that happened. Mm-hmm. But I was uh, at the show and in New York when they won the f- the when they won it the first time. So I was actually I didn't go on the trip because I wasn't up for it. But I was in New York watching it on television, and it happened away at the end. And it was pretty late, and I had DVR'd it. And I remember standing there in my, uh, you know, kind of small New York apartment, and I was just fast forwarding it. And it, and they had told me, oh, we're like probably not going to win. And there was some other show. I think everyone assumed The Office would win or something right. else. Um, 
and I was, uh, or maybe there was some other show. I think Ugly Betty was maybe like expected oh, okay. to win, and like the camera kept cutting to it, and I was fast forwarding, fast forwarding, and then all of a sudden it was just like, "What was that Tina up there?" Like I fast right. forwarded too far. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was uh, that was really really exciting. That is so cool. What did you learn from working on that show? Um, too many too many things to list, but I think I learned. Uh, I think I learned a lot about story structure, as we were talking about, because I thought the people there were just so good at it. Uh, I think I learned a lot about hard work, because uh, Robert and Tina work very very hard, and uh, when you combine how talented they are with how hard they work that's what you get. I mean, you get something that's just great. Um, and, uh, it was exciting to work with those actors. I mean, there were so many actors on that show that were really, really gifted. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was, it was fun to watch, uh, the directors work with them and watch what that process was like. And, um, the mixture of, I mean, this is just regular directing, acting things, but I thought it was done well on that show. You know, the yeah. mixture of like letting the actors be themselves and find, find the funny stuff. Um, and, uh, I also learned that the seven train is a secret, uh, train that people don't use enough. And you, yeah. <laughs> so when did you move to LA a year and a half ago or when? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I moved back about a year, about, uh, a little over a year ago, mm -hmm. and I saw I saw you in the trades. You like had sold two shows, or does you developing shows somewhere or something? Like I, you, you've been doing that, right? You've been developing your own stuff. Yes, yeah. yeah. Since I came back, I've been trying to work on develop my own stuff. Basically, mm -hmm. um, I had a couple pilots that I did last season, um, which did not get picked up. Um, but but those were actually really great learning experience cause experiences. Um, I had not written a pilot before. Um, and, uh, so that was sort of like a new thing. And, uh, I had always liked to, I had pretty actively been writing things of my own on the side, even when I'd been working at shows. And I would actually, um, encourage writers to like always sort of be doing that because it helps you keep your voice. And it, I think it helps, it probably helps stuff you're doing in the room and, um, if that's an aspiration that you have to kind of like create your own stuff. Cause I think that it's easy to just be in the room and just be like, well, I write on the show. I come in the room, we generate this. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like time to write a pilot. And it's like, people haven't like written their own thing in a while. Mm -hmm. Some people, I don't know, but, but, uh, anyway, I feel like I'm going off on a lot of tangents, but I, the, I was working with, um, two very experienced and great uh, development crews. One of them was uh, at Chernin, um, and it's a woman named Catherine Pope and Jane Wiseman and Pavan Shetty, and they were really great. And, and um, we, it was like an office comedy that we developed, basically. Um, and uh, it was very nice to have like a lot of guidance and uh, people who had done that before mm -hmm. a lot and were super funny. And um, how you did know, you deal with that? Oh, sorry. What were you saying? Um, no, and, and and what I or just to also to say the other thing I developed was um, I, I'm represented a three arts and Howard Klein, who is I believe he started three arts or he's one of the um, top guys there, um, had a property that was a British show that um, NBC wanted to 
um, develop into an American show. So I had the uh, fortune and honor to work with him. And, um, and so that was also really exciting. And he's really, really smart. That's awesome. Um, how did you deal with network notes? Um, I, I, uh, I thought a lot of them were... Uh, network notes were interesting. That was a place where it was very useful to have good producers mm-hmm. um, because they, I think, could run interference a little bit sometimes. They were good at like interpreting what was being said. Sometimes what was being said was very clear. Mm-hmm. Other times it was, it was maybe not so clear. Right. <laughs> um, but the thing that's interesting is that there's actually an interesting parallel to that because in a few cases... Often if you're writing something, you in your mind are like, well, I know what this is about. And then you write it and you revise it and you revise it. And then by the time you're like, pair it away, the thing that you thought it was about isn't coming across Mm -hmm. really. Um, And that actually happened uh, with the office comedy that we were doing with Chernin. Like there was one point where we were like getting all these notes and we were like having a little bit of a hard time wrapping our mind around the notes. But it's like if someone is reacting to something, there's usually a reason for it, you know, and and so at one point, um, I believe Catherine Pope, who um, is the head developer there, she was kind of, she said, well, here's what we were trying to do. And she kind of laid out basically what the story was that she thought emotionally. And, and, um, and the network was like, oh, well, we weren't getting that. That wasn't coming across. And it's like, oh, good to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it's about. <laughs> Um, and like in some cases, look, I'm sure there are lots of stories where people would say, well, the person didn't get it because they weren't paying attention to it because they have a million other scripts they're writing or I don't respect this executive and I think they're dumb because they didn't get right. it. Um, but in this case, I thought that they actually had a valid point and we all kind of agreed, you know. And I think that um, if you sort of, the idea of being trying to communicate something and it's not always a hundred percent clear. Also that idea goes the other way, which I've heard a lot of um, writers tell me this is that sometimes an executive, not always, but sometimes they'll be giving a note and it's, it's a little hard to decipher or you might feel like it's not helpful. Um, but there's some percentage of them where it's like, maybe they didn't articulate it perfectly, yeah. but they're putting their finger on something there's something about the story that isn't quite working. There's some reason that it's like this part's not funny because it's making this character too likable and we need to protect them more. Um, the thing that seems very, very tricky to me with uh, network notes, but this is also just true of notes in general and advice that anyone would give someone else about their creative uh, output is having the wisdom to separate between this is a piece of criticism that is actually understands what I'm going for and is helping me get to it. And this is a piece of criticism that has, that doesn't quite understand. And so is trying to turn it into something else or has some other, like just random agenda that I'm not even, that isn't even useful. Mm -hmm. And there definitely are, um, you know, times when, you know, some of these like executives, I'm not saying anything that isn't kind of known, but, uh, and again, this is also a situation that is not unique to um, television networks, but it's like, there's lots of situations where there's a bunch of different people giving feedback on something, be it about like, you know, 
uh, some marketing campaign or whatever. And like some people like just need to say something to like be heard and yeah. justify their job, you yeah. know? Um, so I remember uh, doing a commercial once and a whole group of people came and they just kind of stared at me and then they all had ideas. And this one woman goes, I think her shirt should be light pink. And like someone's like, no, the shirt should be blue. No, her shirt should be. And they started, and it was clear that they were all trying to say something about the commercial. Cause they had, they hadn't contributed yet. And yeah. And the costumer was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, they, they just like picked that. I'm like, wow, they are really trying to keep their job. <laughs> That's really funny. That's a good way to have like a nervous breakdown. If you're the costume designer. Oh gosh. She was like, Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Oh, yeah. But I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, then did she have you like walk back in with a shirt that was all the colors, like uh, pasted no. together? No, weirdly? but I did end up changing like- my shirt a bunch of times during the filming, where because I was just wearing a polo shirt, and so she had to go buy a zillion of them, and I just put on different ones. And yeah, I don't, I don't remember which one they ended up using. I think it was pink. But um, so I have one more question okay. that I always ask everyone who's always on, who's on here, yes, on here. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out who wants to do what you do? Um. I guess I would say a few different things. Um, one, one of the things that I think is really cool about how things have changed from the time that I started is how easy it is to shoot and edit your own stuff. Um, so that's a great way to just get some sketches down, get some parodies down or some stuff down, some scenes that at the very least you could see and you could just get a sense if you think they're good or not. Um, but also it's a, people enjoy watching those things. Um, and, uh, um, you know, so much of what I talked about was like, I knew this person and I knew that person. Everyone knows that a lot of life is who, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so a big part of it is figuring out, you know, who do I know who's in that field or near there? And, um, and uh, if you want to be a writer, you know, it's it's a, often a good idea to try to get a job as a writer's assistant or a writer's PA or something like that. Um, one of the best writers I've ever worked with is this woman, Tracy Wigfield, who started at 30 Rock when I started. She was a PA, I believe, and then she became a writer's assistant, then she became a writer. She's great, and uh, she wrote stuff with Tina. I think that she's, like, up for an Emmy right now, and now she writes on The Mindy Show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, like, a classic example of just, like, get near the where the writers are, yeah. you know? Um, and, uh, and I guess I would also say um, just uh, write stuff. I mean, that seems like the most obvious thing, but it's like generate material, generate content, you know, and look and show it to people or look at it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, at a certain point you just kind of need to, to do that. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for being on here. I'm so happy to be back doing this again and thank you everyone for listening. Bye. Now leaving nerdist.com. 